0: Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Austin Common Radio Hour. I'm your host, Amy Stansberry, and uh, it's been a while, (laughs) but we are back with a brand new episode for you this week and some exciting announcements. I'll start with the announcements. Beginning next week, we're going to be launching a six-part Austin Common Radio Hour series all about climate change and climate action, Uh, But don't worry, this isn't going to be your typical doom and gloom climate podcast. Instead, we're going to be focusing these next few episodes on solutions, sharing stories of success, and outlining clear steps you can take to have a meaningful impact. Like, for real, a meaningful impact on climate. And as always, we're going to be focusing on the local level. Because you might be surprised to hear this, but cities are really the ones leading the way when it comes to climate action in the U.S., They're the ones coming up with innovative ideas and implementing creative policies that are helping both the planet and all of us, all of the people who live within the planet. And also, as always, we'll be focusing on Austin because that's where this podcast is based and it's the city that I love. But I also know that a lot of you live outside of Austin city limits or even just in other cities in Texas or the U.S. So we'll also be sure to share information in a way that's still relevant and helpful to you. Even if you don't live in Austin, and even if you live in Dallas. (laughs) So new episodes of that mini-series will drop every Tuesday, starting next week. But that's not what we're talking about today. Today, if you can believe it, I'm back to tell you about another election. But don't worry, if you live in Austin, there's only one thing on your ballot this time, and it's pretty interesting. So here's what's happening. On Saturday, May 7th, is a local election day here in Texas. Uh, Bee Cave and Cedar Park have mayoral elections on the ballot. Pflugerville has a few school board races. And here in Austin, we actually don't have any candidate elections on our ballot. Our mayoral election isn't until November. Instead, we just have one proposition. Prop A. And here's what it's going to say in your ballot. Quote, Shall an initiative ordinance be approved to 1.0 eliminate enforcement of low-level marijuana offensives, and two, ban the use of no-knock warrants by Austin police, end quote. And so what exactly does all that mean? To answer that question, I spoke with Julie Oliver, co-founder and executive director of Ground Game Texas, which is the organization that gathered the signatures necessary to put Prop A on the ballot. As you might remember from previous election episodes of this podcast, citizen petitions led by advocacy organizations is a really common way for propositions like these to end up on the ballot. So let's get into it. Here's the interview I recorded with Julie. Um, In it, we talk about Democratic Party organizing in Texas, what it actually means to decriminalize marijuana, and what a no-knock warrant is, and why it's a key part of criminal justice reform efforts across the country. All right, let's give that interview a listen. All right, I'm here with Julie and we're talking all about elections today. And I, I wanna dig into, you know, all the specifics of what's gonna be on the ballot here, but first I wanted you to maybe explain uh, Ground Game Texas. So Ground Game Texas is kind of the organization that has brought this forward. And I, I'd love to know a little more background on like how you picked these two issues to focus on and sort of like what Ground Games Texas's goals are in general.
1: Yeah, so thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, Ground Game Texas is really a a voter education and mobilization direct democracy uh, nonprofit based out of Austin, Texas. And, you know, looking at November 2020 in Texas, uh, and some of the data points from that election, which was a very consequential presidential election, 5.6 million Texans didn't vote in that election. So nearly a third of our registered voters who could have voted, didn't vote. And so um, it was very, very discouraging to know that you know with so much on the line, uh, so many people chose not to vote. And, And I get that we have systemic barriers to voting in Texas. So I don't wanna make it seem like this was a choice for some people like, oh, I'm just gonna sit it out. We know that it's very, very challenging sometimes to get registered to vote and then actually Vote. We know that lines can be long and uh, with families and, and all children, it can be very, very hard to juggle everything in life and go vote. So I saw that as an opportunity. 5.6 million people who didn't vote is an opportunity for us to, um, you know, reach out, find some issues that people care about, progressive issues that people care about, and maybe get them to come vote for those issues when they may not know who, who's running or uh, what somebody stands for. Something like a minimum wage increase is very simple to understand. Something like decriminalizing cannabis possession is very, very simple to understand. And quite frankly, they are incredibly popular issues. So other states that have done statewide ballot initiatives on these issues have found a surge in voting when those ballot initiatives share space on the ballot. And and so Mike Siegel, who is uh, the partner in the nonprofit uh, with me and I thought, well, let's do city by city ballot initiatives since we can't do a statewide ballot initiative, at least not a citizen led one here in Texas.
0: Yeah, so, and, and the two of you both have been candidates for statewide office before, right? And so you're kind of bringing some of that experience, I guess, to the table of you have a lot of, you spent a lot of time campaigning.
1: <laughs> we spent a lot of time campaigning. Uh, both of us ran for Congress in 2018 and 2020. So collectively over four years, yeah. you know, we spent our lives, you know, talking to Texans where they were. And that was a really big part of, of how we reached out to people, kind of old school, old fashioned campaigning, talking to people. And so when you do talk to people, um, and I had a a large part of uh, the Fort Hood area in my district that I ran in, and and you talk to veterans who have been begging our state to to legalize marijuana, and the state has done very little when it comes to that. They have a compassionate use for PTSD, but nothing to address pain, and quite frankly, compassionate use, the limits on compassionate use, THC amounts, um, don't work for every veteran. But when you go out and speak to veterans for four years, you really know what their issues are. It's like, hey, can you help me get my disability claim met in a timely fashion? Can you legalize marijuana? And so I can't do the first one because I don't sit on the Veterans Affairs Committee in Congress. But gosh, I'm going to try to do the second one as best I can throughout Texas.
0: Right. And so, you know, when you spent that time out there talking to all these Texans, you talk about some of these issues that perhaps are even both parties might agree on or members of both parties might voters from both parties might agree on like marijuana. But, you know, what uh, what other lessons did you walk away with or learn there? You know, you you came close, I think, and surprised some folks around being a Democrat and, and challenging Republicans. And what other kind of things did you walk away from those campaigns with like, oh, there's something here or this is a problem in our state or or what have you? <laughs>
1: How much time do we have today? (laughs) It's really interesting because yesterday I was having a conversation with a woman who started an organization in Virginia for um, reaching out to rural Democrats in Virginia. And we have a very similar issue and problem here in Texas. Um, You know, I feel like the state has given up or I should say the state party. And now I'm putting on my, my Julie Oliver, who is former congressional candidate. I feel like the state party has given up on rural Texas. When there are so many issues that affect rural Texans, that's you know um, you know go across the political spectrum. When you're talking about rural broadband, when you're talking about keeping hospitals open in rural Texas, when you talk about uh, legalizing marijuana in rural Texas and what that can mean for farmers and um, and ranchers, and um, and again veterans who live in rural communities, the Democratic Party I feel like threw its hands up in the air and says you know. We, we, but there's nothing we can do, it's gonna be red forever. It's not. Um, but I think that where we're missing the boat in Texas is we're not messaging these very popular issues and that we are the party that stands for these issues. There's a party that stands for divisiveness and, and wedging people and getting people to fight amongst themselves, while those at the top, the rich, the powerful, you know, continue to consolidate wealth and power. Um, and then there's a party that wants to raise uh, wages so that people don't have to work three jobs and that they can spend time with their families after the kids come home from school if they're not at a job working they can come home and spend that time with their children every parent wants to spend time with their children there you know and there's not one parent that's like you know no I'd rather work three jobs and miss you know my kids coming home from school and, and feeding them and working on homework with them um, and, and we're missing a huge opportunity because this is what we stand for our values are that We want to give people a living wage. We want to make life a little bit easier because we know it's hard. For a lot of people, it's a struggle. And so if Republicans can keep us all fighting about nonsensical issues, things that don't affect people's lives on a day-to-day, things that people aren't thinking about except for the fact that the Republican Party is spoon-feeding them these talking points, Um, you know, life would be a little bit different here in Texas. And I think we're missing out on the big, big opportunity to say, hey, we want to legalize marijuana. It's not only the progressive right thing to do for so many people, and especially in the criminal justice space, it will add billions to our economy and billions um, from that economy will will be spent on jobs here in Texas. Um, We want to provide health care in our, especially our rural communities that are hit hardest by hospital closures, because there's not enough of a and we could talk about this all day because healthcare finance is my my background specialty. Um, There's not enough of an insured population to keep those hospitals Mm -hmm. open. And it's very difficult to recruit doctors and nurses and patient techs uh, to those communities. So um, yeah, I think we're missing out in a big way on on Mm -hmm. reaching uh, people outside of the urban areas in Texas.
0: Okay, I wanna shift to the election now. This is prop. A. It's going to be prop A on the ballot. Right. It's the only city of Austin prop on the ballot because, but there's two issues connected to it, right? So we've got uh, marijuana decriminalization and no knock warrant. So let's let's start with the marijuana component. Okay. So explain what that means because this is, I think, always a topic of confusion. Are we legalizing weed? Are we decriminalizing it? What's the difference? What do these words actually mean? Right.
1: <laughs> That is a fabulous question, and and I want to remind people it is a May 7th election. And before we even talk about this, I want to remind people, too, there are two elections in May. So you get to exercise your right to democracy and vote two times in May, once for this proposition election here in Austin. And I want to remind for listeners who might be outside of the Austin area, you might be in a school board election as well. So those are very important races. Please vote in those as well, May 7th. Then May 24th, we have the primary runoff elections. And there are a number of statewide candidates that are in primary runoff, so please go vote May 24th as well, or during early voting. So marijuana legalization versus decriminalization. This proposition would be the latter. It would decriminalize marijuana uh, possession offenses in Austin. Legalization has to come from either the state or the federal uh, level. So right now, marijuana is a Schedule I drug at the federal level. um, It's ranked up there with um, heroin, which is silly. Uh, And uh, at the state level, it's also uh, illegal. So it's an illegal uh, illicit substance at the state level. So true legalization, if you want to see it across the entire state, has to come from the state legislature in Austin, because we can do these city-based ballot initiatives and cities have pretty broad discretion on how they enforce certain laws. And and think of it like this. Um, there are certain laws that are definitely on the books that don't get enforced. And and in fact, my 13 year old told me that carrying, this is not a joke. I looked it up, carrying (laughs) pliers in the state of Texas is against the law, carrying (laughs) pliers. So, um, we don't enforce that law, though, do we? We don't enforce that somebody who's carrying pliers is, is going to go commit a crime with those pliers, and so we need to stop the, the pliers, pliers criminals in our state. We, de, we decided that that's not a good use of our resources. So cities have broad discretion on how they enforce the laws that are on the books. And we can say, we can direct police departments, like, we want you to direct your efforts elsewhere. So that's what we're saying. For Class A and Class B misdemeanors, And Class C, we're going to say stop citing people, stop arresting people for misdemeanor possession offenses. And that's going to free the law enforcement to actually focus on other crimes, including violent crime. Um, It'll free up their time and their resources. The the second part of this is it prohibits the city from testing for THC. A couple of years ago, actually three years ago, the state legislature uh, uh, legalized hemp production in Texas. And hemp and marijuana and cannabis are very, very indistinguishable by look and smell. So we are prohibiting the city from testing for THC. That would be the only way to confirm that something that somebody has on their person is uh, marijuana, at least in these misdemeanor uh, cases. And so um, if you can't test for it, you don't have a criminal case. And so the district attorney couldn't bring charges anyway. So If the police don't stop arresting and citing folks for these misdemeanor cases, the fallback is, well, you're not going to be able to test for it anyway. If you can't test, you can't make an affirmative, uh, affirmative allegation that somebody has
0: um, marijuana on their person. Yeah. And, you know. I have a few questions about this one. This one might be kind of a stupid question, but I don't understand what hemp is like. What is like? I remember when this happened and there was yeah. this wave of confusion and a lot of yeah. people were like, oh, I think we could get away with something yeah. here. Like what is hemp? Well, how is it different? Hemp, like hemp
1: is different. Um, you know, it's part of the cannabis plant. Uh-huh. Uh, the flower is what it creates the THC and the, the psychotropic effects. Right. Um, so it's a different. Por- Part of the plant, and it can be used for fibers. Um, it's actually a much better plant, honestly, than cotton for producing clothing fibers. Um, it's much more environmentally friendly, and um, it should Do shouldn't people smoke all. it? And people do smoke it.
0: Okay, yeah. that's what I was wondering because yeah. I've, I've seen obviously, like I know, like yeah. a hemp bracelet or hemp clothing, yeah. but I wasn't sure if that's something that yeah you could yeah. use There's, in that way.
1: There's no THC or it's it's okay. under the threshold of, of what would be illegal in our state. So um, you're not getting any real psychotropic effects. You're getting more of the, uh, you know, I guess if you have uh, an addiction to cigarettes or something, maybe it's right. a better <laughs> alternative than, than what, you know, Phillips Morris puts in a cigarette.
0: Okay. And then, you know, you also talked a lot about misdemeanors. So explain for folks what a misdemeanor is and what that means. Is that a, a certain Um, amount of marijuana? Does that mean that you're, you're not attached to an additional crime? Like that's the only quote unquote crime you're committing. Yeah. So
1: class A, class B, uh, we'll start with class C misdemeanor, which is um, just residue. So if you had a, a, let's say a pipe in your car and it had residue Mm. um, under state law, you can actually be cited for it. you could get a ticket and it could, they could be very expensive. Um, Class B is possession of marijuana up to two ounces. Class A, um, the most, and I'm doing air quotes for those who are listening, uh, the most egregious of the misdemeanor offenses is up to four ounces of marijuana, which would be a lot, I'm gonna be honest, it'd be a lot of joints. So so misdemeanor offenses, it it is by weight. And unfortunately in the state of Texas, the, oh my gosh, and this is, it's really uh, disappointing. So if you are into edibles, um, typically, law enforcement will weigh the entire edible, and and that is how they determine whether something is class A, class B, or Whoa. or felony level. And it's very disappointing because you might actually have um, marijuana levels that would, if they actually tested for just the substance of marijuana in an edible. It would be under that threshold, but because there's also flour and, you know, cocoa and, you know, right. They're weighing the whole know, chocolate talking, bar. Or the they're whole weighing the whole or... chocolate bar. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they are. And it's really unfortunate because some people find themselves in felony level possession cases because in edible, they weigh the entire thing. Mm-hmm. And I just want there to be a really good attorney who takes that up and said, you can't flour is not illegal in the state of Texas, <laughs> nor is butter. At least the Republicans have not made it illegal yet. That's probably coming in 2023. Mm-hmm. But um, <laughs> so I hope there's a good attorney that takes it up and says you can't you know, take the entire edible. But right now um, we are finding that certain jurisdictions are weighing the entire edible. And um, unfortunately, if that edible exceeds four ounces, you're in felony uh, territory. And, and this, I will say this proposition does not address felony level possession okay. cases.
0: It's just misdemeanor. And what is a typical, I know that in Austin, we're, we've kind of been weaning ourselves off of this, but what kind of punishment can come with a misdemeanor?
1: Yeah. Um, jail time and fines. So, um, you know, obviously class a is again, the most serious of right. them, um, that you could go to jail for, I think it's up to, uh, I think it's up to 18 months. I need to confirm that, but it's based on state law. And, and whatever judge you get who might want to well based on a number of factors a district attorney that would prosecute the case um the judge you get in a criminal court and then whatever the state allows up to uh i think fines can be up to two thousand dollars which is not a drop i mean that's you know that's modern day rent in austin you right know?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: so it's it's It can be very expensive and it could take you. Yeah. And just even the arrest alone, even if let's say you get out on bail, I mean, you might miss work because of this. You know, if you're in your car and you just have you're not even smoking, it could just be a a joint that a a police officer sees when he he or she pulls you over. They can take you into jail and you might miss your shift. Um, The fact that you've got an arrest now on your record and a potential conviction could keep people from getting housing, it could uh, keep people from future employment, it could get them fired from their current job. Um, So there are a lot of ramifications for a misdemeanor in Texas.
0: Yeah, this is something now I can't remember, but I I was speaking with during the primaries, I was interviewing a lot of judicial candidates um, that are running here in Travis County, and um, I was speaking to one of them. And they were talking about this issue of saying that um, even though in Austin we we had kind of been leaning towards this policy of our police not enforcing um, you know, these low level amounts of marijuana, they said that sometimes like people are still getting booked and it was his job. I think it was a justice of the peace, still had to like people still to like come in and then he would just like reject it and say, you know, we know our district attorney isn't going to prosecute this, but it was still a burden on people's lives. Like some people were still having to like go into the court, this, you know, the courtroom and get their thing dismissed, or it was still like a few days where you were living under that stress. Yeah. Um, but there this... will be
1: penalties for, for law enforcement, there will be penalties for law enforcement if they continue to arrest, um, folks cite folks.
0: Okay. So this would help solve that problem. So it wouldn't even just be that you might still get arrested, but then a judge would say, you know what, we're not prosecuting this. So you're dismissed. It would be like, it would hopefully prevent that person from ever being arrested or cited in the first place. Is that correct? Right. That okay. is correct.
1: So, and if they do, if law enforcement still continues to arrest certain folks for it, they have to write a very, very lengthy report on why they're making the arrest, what would, and, you know, I want to, there is discretion still for law enforcement. Okay. If there's a public safety issue, if okay. there's, if violence is involved, if it's part of a larger narcotics investigation, right can't just, the possession of a single joint can't be the Basis for like okay we're going to search your car for drugs now even though you've never been under suspicion of being a drug dealer before that can't be the basis for searching a car by law enforcement so they're going to have to write a very very lengthy report if they uh, issue a citation or arrest they'll have to write a very lengthy report that details why they did that mm. and if if it's found that they are just trying to harass a certain demographic which we've done the public information request even though marijuana usage is roughly the same across all demographics, there is a a particular demographic that gets targeted by law enforcement and that is black and brown people. So if they continue to do this, then there will be penalties for law enforcement um, for continuing to do citations and arrests. And and we're just gonna make it burdensome for law enforcement um, if they continue to do it, to to have to write the the report and, and detail out why
0: they're doing this. Right. That's a good point. So part part of this is also trying to prevent that issue that, um, does happen. If someone gets pulled over, they have one joint in their pocket or it's sitting out there like in their cup holder or something. Mm -hmm. They weren't smoking it while they were driving. And then that's used as a pretense to investigate, search their their whole car. Okay. So this could prevent that unless the officer wrote this report. Right. Okay. And I want to talk a little bit about the history of this in Austin, because you kind of alluded to it some. So this is a policy that city council has said that they want, right? City council has taken a vote saying they want to decriminalize uh, marijuana. But there's been, like, I think a lot of back and forth as to how police are actually responding to this. And that's kind of the reason for for taking this step of trying to really codify it. Is that accurate? That is correct. So okay. city
1: council um, basically by resolution did this very thing. They decriminalized marijuana. They didn't, they didn't touch the the no knock warrant ban at all, but they decriminalized marijuana a couple of years ago. But initially the police chief said, we're not going to, we're not bound by this. It's a resolution. It doesn't change the ordinances and we're not going to comply with this resolution that you passed. So this definitely codifies the, um, City Council passed by resolution. And so what that means is it doesn't matter who the police chief is. It doesn't matter who the district attorney is. Although I hope that Jose Garza is our district attorney for a nice long time. Um, but it doesn't matter who is in those positions. This codifies it. It will be part of our, our city code. And again, if, if law enforcement isn't going to comply, we have bound the hands of the city of Austin from even testing the anything. So you don't have a case, um, there will be no case to try. And again, depending on who our district attorney is, you know, if they don't, if they can't test that uh, for THC, then they have no case. They can't prosecute somebody.
0: Right. And that kind of leads me to my next question. Like, is this legal? <laughs> like, has, have any other c- cities in Texas done this? Is there any indication that the state's going to come after us for doing this? You know, like, where do, where do we sit?
1: So it's been interesting because people are like, well, doesn't state law preempt this? Again, cities have wide discretion in um, which laws they're going to spend money on to enforce. Right. Why we don't see uh, police officers at every stop sign seeing who is going to blow through that stop sign. You might every once in a while see a a police officer at an intersection, but they're not stationed at every intersection throughout our city. Right. So we're not enforcing traffic laws throughout the city. Um so again, there's there is discretion of which laws um get enforced by city where they want to put direct their resources. The other thing is it would be incredibly unwise for the Republican leadership of the state to come after us because Republicans favor this Mm -hmm. in nearly equal amounts as Democrats. 87% of Texans want to legalize marijuana in the state. And guess what? We don't have 80%, 87% of our voting population that is Democrat. So that means there is a significant, very sizable chunk of Republicans. This is a winning issue across the political spectrum, marijuana legalization. And so, in my personal opinion, I think it would be political suicide for the state to come after any of the cities that we're working in where we're decriminalizing, again, Class A, Class B misdemeanor offenses, not felony level. Right. Um, it would be, it would, I think, political suicide. Um, and there's a reason why Beto is running very, very vocally on legalizing marijuana. It is a winning issue in Texas. And enough voters need to hear that because they will go out and vote on this. It's really interesting. Arkansas did a um, scholarly study after they did their first marijuana statewide ballot initiative to uh, legalize it for medicinal use. They found that out of all of the statewide ballot initiatives that had been presented to voters, marijuana legalization was the one thing that could get out non-voters and infrequent voters. Hmm. <laughs> and this terrifies Republicans. It doesn't terrify Democrats. We want non-voters and infrequent voters to come vote because we know they'd vote with us. But it terrifies Republicans, which is why they put these barriers to uh, voting up. They've erected them. I mean, that's what all of 2021 uh, was spent on basically with SB1 in, in the state ledge was trying to prevent people from
0: voting in Texas. Mm-hmm. Have any other cities passed something similar in Texas Yeah, No, this is
1: uh, well, here's what I would say. Um, a group in San Marcos that we're working with, again, on a the same basically the same uh, codification of decriminalizing marijuana, they um, lobbied their city council, they're called Mono Amiga, wonderful nonprofit in San Marcos. They lobbied city council successfully to cite and release. So instead of arresting folks, but they could still cite. And like I said, it could be a $2,000 fine that somebody gets Mm. from a misdemeanor offense in San Marcos. So we're working on the same decrim. So there'll be no citations, there'll be no arrests in San Marcos. We're also working on it in Denton and Colleen and Harker Heights and Um, Elgin, Texas, right? our our neighbors uh, to the east. And we have had so many folks from different cities saying, hey, can you come here and do that? Including Lubbock, including uh, Waco, Texas, including mineral wells. So we have a kind of a a chart of cities that we'll be entering into coming up in 2023.
0: Yeah. Okay. I want to shift gears now and talk about no-knock warrants. This is another component of what is wrapped up in Prop A. And this would be, what, banning no-knock warrants. Yeah. Explain for folks, what is a no-knock warrant? Why is this something you all are organizing around banning?
1: So it's a criminal justice issue. Um, no-knock warrants, if anybody's watched any of the police TV shows and they've got like a SWAT team outside, they've got the, the battering ram, they break open a door and go in with their guns, you know, uh, pulled from the ho- uh, their holsters. That is a no-knock warrant. And although they are infrequently executed in Austin, they can be very, very lethal, not only to the, the communities in which they're served and frequently. So Brianna Taylor, Breonna Taylor, I
0: was just Breonna Taylor ask, is the, is no the perfect, warrant,
1: right? it was a no-knock warrant that was served um, and it was served on the wrong person. And, and unfortunately, Breonna Taylor lost her life uh, because of that no-knock warrant. And so they're incredibly hazardous, incredibly dangerous. They're typically executed in the wee hours or the middle of the night when somebody is sleeping. And so what would you do? This is Texas, y'all.
0: Right. If somebody comes
1: into your house in the middle of the night while you're sleeping, what are you going to do? Right. You might grab your own gun. You might grab your own gun. Right. And, um, you know, we had a case here in Austin where a young man, he was 18 years old on an anonymous tip. Anonymous tip: uh, Law enforcement went uh, and got a, a no-knock warrant executed, saying he was a drug dealer. This and he was in high school; that he was a high school drug dealer. The, the young man was asleep in his family's home. His mom was there. His dad had gone to work at like five a.m. So they executed it after five a.m. Um, they came in, they shot the family dog immediately, and shot and killed the family dog. The kid did have a gun. Um, he pulled it. He had no idea what was happening. He just the gunshots and he went, he shot a. He shot a, a police officer. Thankfully, the police officer did not die. Um, but this kid is in, in prison now for, I think, 25 years because he shot a law enforcement officer. And guess what? They didn't find. Um, I think they found one bottle, like a little prescription bottle of Xanax, but uh, nothing else that would indicate he was a dealer hmm. And, 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 and so sort of this young man's life was dramatically altered, right? The family's mm-hmm. life was dramatically altered. The law and uh, the police officer's life was dramatically altered. Um, right. so these are incredibly unsafe. And so we want to keep our communities safe. There are different ways to, um, you know, enforce the laws that are on the book. And this is one that we want to remove as an option.
0: Right. And, and generally my understanding, right. Is the justification b- behind these no knock warrants, why they're something that's used is for drug arrest to prevent folks from what, like quickly, like hearing a knock on the door and like flushing all their drugs down the toilet. Yeah. Is that kind of, that's the stated. Yeah. reason, Right. That's right.
1: And, and so it- ours requires a knock an announcement and waiting 15 seconds before they enter a residence. And if you are a dealer and you've got dealer level amounts of, of drug, Chances are in that 15 seconds, you aren't going to be able to flush. You're going to stop up your toilet. Pretty darn bad if you're trying to flush everything at <laughs> once. But and I don't mean to be light about this. It's a very serious issue. Um, so it's again, it's it's a tool in the toolbox that is incredibly unsafe. And we want to remove it as a tool in the toolbox because they get executed on communities, sometimes wrong households, and uh, frequently somebody either gets shot or killed or both. Um, we have a man in Killeen, Texas. He, a no-knock warrant was executed on his apartment. Again, they did not find enough drugs to make it dealer level. They can't even charge him with dealer level. And he's been sitting in pre-trial detention in Bell County for seven years. They don't have a case. so They're basically making him. He did shoot, again, he shot a police officer as the police officer entered his home um, thankfully again, did not kill the police officer, but shot him. Cause again, execution at, you know, six o'clock in the morning and you're grogging and you're like, what on earth is happening? Um, and he's been sitting in pretrial detention, has not gone to trial y'all for seven years.
0: Hmm. And is that tied to no knock warrants? It was tied to the no knock warrant because they again
1: had, had tips that he was a dealer and mm-hmm. they needed to execute this in the wee hours. And they did not, they found, I think, marijuana residue on a bag, on a little yeah. baggie. I mean, he may have been a user, but it it did, definitely did not qualify for dealer level. And it was uh-huh. residue, which was, is a classy misdemeanor.
0: And, you know, is this something that have you all been able to talk with any police unions, police associations, as far as alternatives, you know, like, has there been a response from APD or other police departments as to if we don't have no knock warrants, we could do this instead? Like, you know what I mean? What's kind of the conversation or response from law law enforcement? Because it does seem like it it can present a danger to them as well, obviously, if they're, they're being shot at. Right. Um, Well, and again,
1: this, it doesn't mean they can't execute a war. It doesn't mean they can't execute a warrant. But they need to not very, very clearly announce themselves. Wait 15 seconds, and then execute. So they still have the ability to execute okay. a warrant. They don't have the ability to execute what is called a no-knock warrant, where they just enter without any uh, announcement or knocking.
0: You know. Got it. So the idea is, you know, it's a fairly, on the face of it, sounds like a subtle change. You know, you're just talking about a. Chi- uh, allowing for a little more time and announcement but the hope is that might be able to diffuse the situation significantly yeah yeah and if
1: people know what is happening who's coming entering their home they're not going to shoot you know and and hopefully they get put themselves in a position where they're not seen as a threat to law enforcement so law enforcement doesn't shoot
0: right and is this something that has been done in other places in texas other cities is this something you're modeling you're seeing other cities do as well actually
1: colleen is where we um we we took the no net no knock uh, ban in colleen that was passed at city council and we took that model and um integrated it into our austin freedom act here and it was based on another no-knock warrant that had been executed in Killeen, where a young man, uh, was killed by law enforcement and his sister advocated and ad- she's a wonderful, wonderful advocate in this area. And, um, she was like, I don't want my brother's death to be in vain. And mm-hmm. so she got in Colleen no-knock warrants, uh,
0: banned. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it really seems like, cause on the face of it, perhaps people might not Understand why they're voting simultaneously at the same time for marijuana decriminalization and no knock warrants. But it seems to me kind of these are bundled together as really a suite of criminal justice reform efforts. Yeah, correct. Absolutely. Okay. And so let's remind people again this election is coming up May 7th, is Election Day. That's right. And
1: then April 25th is the first day of early voting. So you get two weeks of early voting, April 5th through May 3rd. Um, So go vote at your leisure. If you're at uh, UT, there are two places to vote. I want to remind our UT uh, students, you can vote at the Flawn Academic Center or the library, Perry Castaneda Library. And yeah, um, please, please go vote. Exercise that voting muscle. It still is a privilege that we have and who knows how much longer we have that. (laughs) So May, May 7th for this one and then go back May 24th for the primary runoffs as well.
0: Yeah. And then, you know, I know a lot of our listeners, we've covered criminal justice issues on this show before. And I know a lot of our listeners and folks in Austin are passionate about this. If they're really interested in any of these issues, you know, Ground Game Texas, you're a larger organization. Like, is there an opportunity for people to get involved, help with your efforts, learn more beyond even this election?
1: Absolutely. We would love help. And we, you know, clearly um, we are a small we're a small organization, but through our volunteers, we can amplify and expand our reach. And so we would love folks to, to get involved. If you go to groundgame, Texas, all spelled out, .org, groundgame, Texas.org, you can learn more. You can see what cities we're, we're in and which ballot initiatives we're working on across the state of Texas.
0: Great. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to chat today and explain all of this for us. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you. Julie Oliver. So, just to recap here, election day is May 7th and early voting begins April 25th. Only people who live within Austin City limits will see Prop A on their ballot, which again, if passed, would decriminalize marijuana and ban no-knock warrants in Austin. You can figure out exactly what's going to be on your ballot by visiting votetravis.com or willco.org, depending on whether you live in Williamson or Travis County. And then once you get to those websites, you can search for your personalized sample ballot. And then the other thing that everyone in Texas is going to see on their ballots are two statewide Texas constitutional amendments. The League of Women Voters of Texas actually put together two really good explainer videos about state propositions one and two. So I'm just going to go ahead and play those clips for you right now, and you can learn all about it. So here are those clips.
2: Hi. I'm Aubrey with the League of Women Voters of Texas. On May 7th, there will be an election covering proposed changes to the Texas Constitution. Proposition 1 would amend the Constitution to set a lower property tax rate for elderly and disabled homeowners. Homeowners who are 65 or older or disabled have a ceiling on their school property taxes. For this reason, they didn't get the benefit from the property tax reductions passed in 2019. This proposition would allow elderly and disabled homeowners to also benefit from lower tax rates. The law related to this proposed amendment would also require that the state reimburse school districts for revenue lost by this reduction in school property taxes. Arguments for Proposition 1 include, first, that the proposed amendment would provide significant property tax relief to disabled and elderly homeowners. This amendment would also allow more people to benefit from the lower tax rates passed in 2019. Also, many individuals who are disabled or elderly live on fixed incomes. The proposed amendment would provide them with financial relief as well as more budget certainty. However, there are also arguments against Proposition 1. First, opponents argue that this proposition does not resolve the problem of relying on property taxes to fund public schools. Second, while school districts are to be reimbursed by the state for any revenue lost, the proposed amendment could reduce funds to public schools if proper formulas are not put in place to make up for funding. Also, there could be other Texans more in need of tax relief and some homeowners and groups given the tax relief by this proposition may not actually be in need of a reduction. Thank you for taking the time to become more informed about the upcoming May 7th election. Hi, I'm Aubrey with the League of Women Voters of Texas. On May 7th, there will be an election covering proposed changes to the Texas Constitution. Proposition 2 would increase the amount homeowners are able to reduce from the market value of their primary residence when calculating their annual property taxes from $25,000 to $40,000. This would lower homeowners' annual property tax bills. The law related to this proposed amendment would also require the state reimburse school districts for revenue lost by this reduction in school property taxes. Arguments for Proposition 2 include that this amendment would save homeowners money in the form of property tax relief. This proposition should also not impact public school revenue because the state would be required to make up any shortfall in funding caused by the proposition. This decrease in property taxes would also be particularly helpful to moderate to low income homeowners. However, there are also arguments against Proposition 2. First, the proposed amendment could reduce school revenues if formulas put in place by the state do not fully reimburse local school districts for any loss of funding. Second, This property tax reduction will end up costing the state money if they reimburse lost revenue to school districts. The cost to the state will have to depend on laws passed to make up for any shortfall in funding. The proposed amendment would also not benefit those that are not homeowners, including renters who still send their children to public schools. Thank you for taking the time to become more informed about the upcoming May 7th election.
0: Okay, hopefully that helped clear things up a bit for you on the statewide front. And again, thanks to the League of Women Voters of Texas for making those wonderful videos. And P.S. one last election reminder for you so you don't get confused in case you see some things in the news. There's actually yet another election just right around the corner in Texas after this Prop A election. It will be held on May 24th, and it's the runoffs for the primaries. So if you remember, back in March, we had primary elections, which featured a lot of statewide races and judicial races for each party. Um, And any of those races where no candidate received at least 50% of the vote, they have to go to a runoff, which is what's happening later in the month. So keep an eye out on our Instagram feed for more info about that, because we'll keep educating you all, as always, keeping you informed. Anyway, that's pretty much our show for today. Uh, don't forget to vote, and I'll see you next week for the start of our climate action miniseries. The Austin Common Radio Hour is brought to you in partnership by the Austin Common and Co-op Radio. The Austin Common is a local news source that helps Austinites be informed and make a difference in their community. You can learn more about the Austin Common by visiting theaustincommon.com or following us on Instagram at the_austin_common. Co-op is a cooperatively run community radio station based here in Austin, Texas. To listen to more of Co-op's amazing lineup of shows, visit koop.org or tune in to 91.7 FM. The show is hosted by me, Amy Sansbury, and produced by John Hoffner. You can find podcasts of the Austin Common Radio Hour on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts. And one quick friendly request on this, if you like our show and you find it useful, please consider rating, reviewing, and subscribing on your favorite podcast app. It really does help us to be seen and heard by more folks in Austin. So thank you in advance if you're able to do that for us. And a final thank you to the TR Girls, the amazing local band whose music you hear at the start and end of this podcast. You can listen to their music on Spotify or follow them on Instagram at Tiara Girl Band. That's our show. Thanks for listening. You